there was one episode that I one edit that I did for the for this podcast recently. And you started off the show by saying, uh, I'm here with my guest and producer Rodney Gatry and Art, but I shriveled up so tight. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm cutting this out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because no one could know that I'm associated with this because I want Art's podcast to have value. And yeah. if my name is in there. Valueless. Values, yeah. Yeah. But um I over I overcame that and um I left it the way it is, but there's still there's still that struggle of mine when it comes to me putting my name on something. There's a lot I go through for me yeah. to be, you know, even mildly comfortable doing that. Yeah, the emotional system is oh. pretty strong. And there's no, there's no human walking the planet with more emotion than me. Well, hey, folks. Uh, thanks for joining us again for this episode of How's That Working For You? I'm Art Wimberly. I'm a person grateful to be in long-term recovery, a certified recovery coach, and a bit of an Enneagram uh, provocateur. Uh, so today on the show, we have a special guest who's actually here every week uh, because it's Ronnie Gatry, our producer. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Art. Thanks yeah. for uh, having me. Uh, you're you not really sure. have me because right. I've right. been Because you're always here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you did hesitate, I noticed, uh, a few weeks ago when I said you ought to do a podcast you we ought to interview you there was hesitation yeah so tell me about that well it, it was it was over m menial things like you know I just I in this relationship podcast relationship I've only seen myself as a producer mm -hmm. and uh, I went through this with Naisha Black when you you know asked me to mic up I was excited about yeah. it but that, then I was thinking technical like well then who's gonna manage the the audio levels, who's going to take notes and who's going to do all the things that the producer does. And so I re-encountered that when you asked me to be a guest and, um, I, you know, in, in our in the other thing is I'm so shy and I, you know, I just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. Uh, well, that, okay. So that, that leads us to maybe our first little point, uh, to get to know you better. And that would be, uh, what Enneagram personality style do you, connect to what do you what what do you describe yourself at what oh, type a strong nine a okay. strong nine okay so a couple of things there we could kind of riff off of in a minute uh i also suspect for you that you are probably what's called uh, a dominant instinct social nine i yes. would think at least it may not be your dominant instinct but you definitely in the top two of your instinctual stack order i think social's right up there i would tend is, to does agree. that make sense yeah because yeah. you um, your presentation out in the world is typically like, man, you are everybody's best friend, right? Yes. Yeah. Sociable huggy bear, right? A lot of vibrant, smiling, uh, happy energy comes off of you toward people. Have we met before, Art? Because I just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And even now, the broad smile, the laughter oh, yeah. that invites people toward you, which can be very different in many ways from what we might say the either the caricature or the typical nine might present in the world does that make sense yes because on average i would say most folks that i know that are type nines that identifies as type nine most of them tend to have a little bit more of a withdrawing energy mm. okay doesn't mean it's bad or good it's not we're not judging it they're just a little bit more they withdraw a little bit. And uh, as a body-centered person and as the center of the body center, nines often are trying to figure out where they fit when they meet people or in environments and that type of thing. And so uh, 
So social nines or people with a lot of social instinct as nines don't present that way. They, they really want to kind of go toward and make it easy for people to come toward them. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I experienced with you. Okay. Yeah. Thank cool. You. Yeah. However, you still would have some of the same core issues that all nines have, right? That's yes. why you're quote unquote a nine. Of course, as we say on this program all the time, nobody's their number. No, but there's no such thing as a seven like a, or a nine like you. All it is is a placeholder to, to try to describe nine different general archetypal personalities in the world that are actually uh, kind of blocks to our real essence. They're they're kind of one third of who we are, one third of our family of origin and world issues, and one third of our habits over time. And that's just kind of the way we present, right? Right. So one of the core issues for nines is this struggle with a sense of value and worth to push themselves out into the world. So I would say beyond the struggle you had about being the interviewee on the podcast, okay, who's going to produce it, who's going to take the notes, who's going to check the sound level, I wonder if there was also the struggle, wait a minute, is it even worth telling my story? The oh, podcast? well, for sure. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> cause I, I guess with this podcast, like I've just been captivated by so many of the guests that have been on. And, um, the, you know, there's the addiction element to which, mm-hmm. you know, I can't really identify. And I'll be honest, Art, I, I tried to, to to find something to at least pull that in so I'd have some value. Yeah, so you could fit in. Yeah, and, all that. yeah, yeah. and, I, and I got yeah. nothing. So. You got nothing, yeah. Well, we'll find one. <laughs> okay, yeah, cool, yeah. cool. Actually, technically, and you and I have talked about, we've even talked about it on the podcast, technically, whether, whether any individual has developed an addiction, such as substance use disorder, an addiction to a, ingesting a substance, or what's called a process or a behavioral addiction, such as workaholism or gambling or, or sexuality, uh, those are the big A type addictions, right? But the truth is, in Enneagram theory, as well as other uh, uh, sacred, spiritual, and social theories, everyone's actually addicted at bottom, whether they have the other outward addictions or not, and they're addicted to their personality. Oh, okay. okay. So that's what we're really exploring anyway. If we can, if, if, as in my case, get past the addictive behavior or in anyone else's case, then they still have a lot of work to do to actually discover how the personality was running the show underneath. Okay. Okay. Well, that's where the heart. I got some addiction. There you go. Okay. So, all right. Good. Now you have some worth. Yeah. (laughs) Well, a little bit. I I don't. I don't know about it. Yeah. Let's don't push the. Yeah. Baby steps. Yeah. 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 Uh, So you fit in on the podcast. Right. Finally. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Uh, All right. So, um, you of course we're here in Birmingham, and you make your home here with your family in Birmingham. Yes. Now. And part of the time you grew up in Birmingham, but not the whole time, right? Correct. Uh, so tell us a little bit about where you were born, how okay. you got to Birmingham. And then I'd like for you to, if you're willing, explore a little bit about family history. Because sure. there's a really kind of an interesting uh, thread there about your mom's heritage. Right, right. Yeah. right. Okay. okay. So and, how'd you get can, here? Can I start there? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, I, I'm a proud son of an immigrant. <laughs> okay. my, my mom was born in Nassau, Bahamas. Okay. And uh, she came here for school. She went to Tuskegee. She met my dad there. And uh, they started a life over in East Alabama. Okay. And uh, my mom got a job as a nurse in Opelika, and that's where I was born. And I uh, lived there the first four four years of my mm-hmm. life. 
And then um, my dad got a job in Birmingham. And so we moved here when I was about, you know, late fours, early fives. Can I just insert right here Absolutely. how lucky you were to get away from open oh my goodness! because that's a little dangerously close to it's, Auburn. It's too close. To Auburn. Yeah. So anyway, what, but, but we digress. Okay. I escaped so, the influence before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. So we, we moved here, grew up in Irondale, uh, have a, have a older sister who's uh, 13 months older and a younger sister who was 13 years younger. Let wow. that marinate for a yeah. second. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so she, came, she, my little sister came along, well after that, but, um, yeah, art, uh, that I'm, I'm trying to keep this like in a nutshell. So, so it's consumable, but one thing I will share, and you made me think about this when you said it about the, um, I guess the typical nine, I had a withdrawn childhood. Like I was quiet. I was very reserved. I was to myself, spent a lot of time, you know, just by myself mm-hmm. playing video games a lot. Um, but wasn't nearly as social as I am now. And I'll, I'll go ahead and admit those are some of the more uncomfortable years of my life internally, emotionally. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So um, would anybody, I'm just asking, I'm wondering, would anybody have around you understood that or seen that? Uh, no. Okay. No. Okay. But what's, what's so odd art. Um, and I didn't even mention my family. Gosh, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> my wife Tabitha of almost 13 years now. And uh, I've got a eight year old son, Noah, four year old son, Abraham. Um, but I was going to mention my wife who also, I think my wife is more that now, but, um, as we grew together, we saw some similarities in childhood in terms of not feeling you had a voice, uh, finding different mechanisms, different methods of sharing what you have. I wrote a lot when I was young and I still have, I guess it's a, cause men don't like to use diaries, I guess, but <laughs> I guess I have uh, journals and I yeah. still, I still have them to this day. Wow. And um, I wrote a lot of stuff, a lot of feelings that I had not realizing I was journaling. Yeah. So it was inward experience. Yeah. That you were trying to kind of get on the outside of yourself. For sure. Which again, any human being can struggle with and probably all of us do to a certain extent, but that seems to be really typical of type nines that to get their inner experience expressed outward in some way is a big part of their journey to struggle towards. Right. Yeah. Right. Cool. Uh, very well put by the way. Thank you. Um, so, so yeah, Art, I think about my childhood, very quiet, very reserved, wrote a lot, um, expressed my feelings through uh, pen and paper. Then you go to my wife who uh, in her youth got a computer in their house and she was the only person that knew how to use it. And she would type her feelings on a floppy diskette you know, in on a word processor, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> all it was, all right, so can I ask you a question? Because sure. I think you've told me in the past that she probably identifies as an ego type five. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. She is a five. She well, is a I five. mean, I don't care what she you says. don't care what she says. All right, uh, so again, and I love her. <laughs> uh, again, you could. Uh, I don't want to caricature stereotype within this system but again even that you could see uh most fives most people identify five as an adult when they look back they can see that there's part of a childhood that it's difficult for them to figure out how to express emotion and often 
using something like it's so interesting that she was the only one that could run the computer mm-hmm. and so she was using part of her that to put her inner life out there in a way so yeah inter- and it's kind of a safe way to do it right right because right, no one else is going to access right that. yeah and fives often unconsciously fear rejection so they'll often do things to pre-reject everybody else before you can reject them oh, <laughs> and yeah. one of these well this is how i control my emotions right. it, it, interesting anyway if only yeah. we could find some of those three and a half inch floppies but yes anyway. hey. <laughs> would know what to do with them if we found them but the yeah. world that later yeah but um but no art you know one of the things that you're helping me really come to grips with in terms of my youth into now one of the things one of the constant struggles I've had has been that people pleasing mentality and our I think about even as recent as this past Saturday and I, and our, I kid you not I woke up this morning with it on my mind uh, we we take our kids to this uh to this facility where they go exercise and they make it fun for kids it's really cool and um, we're all there Saturday morning, and I'm getting out of the car, and I'm making eye contact with the guy parked next to me. He just loaded his family in, and I'm, I, I, asked, I asked everybody in our car not to move. Like, let him load. <laughs> let, him, let him put his car in reverse, and once he moves, we'll get out, right? And so we're making eye contact, and he motions for me, like, go ahead and get out. And so uh, I roll the window down just to make sure, like, hey, is it okay? Like, we're about to get out. I got a car full of kids. Are you good? And he's like, yeah, we're great. Or I slowly, gently open the door after after <laughs> explained to my eight year old to be careful to watch for the car next to him, and I just slightly graze his car with the door. Or man, my day's over. Yeah. Like my heart has yeah. crumbled. Yeah. And I'm looking at this guy. I knock on his window. I'm apologizing profusely. I'm going to get my insurance card. <laughs> and the guy says, man, hold on, man. Like, you barely tapped us. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, but I still did, and I feel terrible about it. Let me make this right. This is just what I what I plead with him. Yeah. And um, not <laughs> my, my wife is so good at helping me realize this, but, like, <laughs> I'm a pretty big guy. And so, like, I'm, I'm animated about it, and I, ha- I have to catch myself. I'm like, okay, I don't want this guy to think like I'm, you know, trying to intimidate him or trying to overwhelm him, you know, yeah. with my big physical stature. Yeah. But at the at the nature of it is like I want to make this situation, this bad situation, like I deemed it go away. Right. And yeah. there's not even a scratch on this car. There's nothing. Right. Yeah. So um, finally, the guy says, no, look, man, you are good. I'm, I can see where you where you tapped it, whatever. So I, I went into this gym place without on my mind and I'm just giving my wife everything like, man, what, how did I? How'd I do that? I mean, what what if what if this de- decreases this, the value of this man's car? <laughs> like, I, I can't I can't get over it. Like wow. all through lunch, and uh, I'll admit, even going to bed at that night, I was still thinking about it. Carried over to Sunday, carried over this morning before I went to the gym. I was thinking, man, I really wish I could contact that guy and just make sure like his car. I don't, wow. But this is what I carry, Art. So you talk about addiction? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. Good. That, that's just that's just the latest instance, <laughs> but. I know from a youth, I would I would have instances like that, and I, that that would weigh heavy on me. And it and you know, no no joke at all. But like I would lose sleep over some of this stuff. Yeah, and because just, the basically those things. little things start constricting the body, and we're yes. not quite aware of it, which causes tension. And then and then and again, the big thing is I'm Ronnie. I'm here to make everybody happy. Right. If I get in a situation where I don't make someone happy. Then what, what's my value? You they, know that? Okay, great point. Yeah. So. Now, I, I can imagine some people would hear this and they're going like, you're making too much of a big deal about this thing. But the truth is with human beings, no matter what our personality type is, there's it's these minor little things that we get into patterns of that actually affect bigger things in our life, right? So 
with any type, we could walk through something like that and we can begin to see how did that cause either you undo suffering all through your life or how does it affect relationships, right? Because right, it right. does. It, absolutely. Yeah. Didn't realize till I got married, but yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, and so part of our kind of detoxifying ourselves is learning about type and then going and figuring out, okay, not so much I don't have to overturn every rock to figure out how the pattern started, but once I become aware of the pattern, how do I not become harshly judgmental about it, but so that I can begin soften and relax these patterns right. you know, over time. So that's the process we're all in. First step is you got to become aware of the pattern, but we got to be careful then because we tend to become very harshly judgmental of ourselves mm. when we notice it. And that either drives it back underground or we become like, uh, uh, out of the, out of just the, the, the use of our will, we try to will ourselves into becoming virtuous, uh, which either way, we're, we're, it's not going to work very well. So, right. Okay. Well, okay. All right. So I love that little uh, scenario that you gave because that's a clue into the nine, the whole idea of why do so many nines feel in their body even so much pressure to mediate and keep everybody happy, right? Right. Every nine I've ever known feels that pressure in some way. And they're really, when they're healthy, they're amongst the very best human beings in the world that are peacemakers and really do desire uh, to get everybody to the table and keep them there. Right. And when they're healthy, they, they can do that in a healthy way. When they're not healthy or they're unaware of their pattern, they're often do like you said, it's the idea of I, sometimes I don't feel like I've got enough value to assert myself or I don't like saying no if it's going to disappoint, right? Which is one reason nines and twos often get mistyped for each other. Ah. The idea of twos don't want to say no if it if it has to do with helping, and nines don't want to say no if they feel like internally it's going to cause a conflict or or, or break the peace, so right. to speak. Does that make sense? Correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. All right. So pick up the the story then. Um, uh, born Opelika, a few years moved, got to the Birmingham area in Irondale. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the influence of uh, being the son of an immigrant mm. and and also some of the influence of her, you know, the country of origin for her. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is the social influence. Um, you know, it, it <laughs> I would hear friends growing up talk about things like, and we'll, we'll talk about it because I'm a big food person, um, but food, dishes, um, casserole, casseroles are huge in the South. And this is something my mom never, like my mom doesn't even to this day. And you know, that's a, it's a expletive around her. Like she doesn't even <laughs> like to say it. So mom, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. I said the C yeah. word, but, um, you know, things like that, like, you know, having to explain, no, I don't, I don't know what a casserole is. I don't know what's in it. And I'm not going to try it because, I live in a house where casseroles don't exist. And then the, the, the feedback I get, like, what do you mean? You're in the South. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess that, that, that social is the first thing that comes to mind uh, in terms of cultural impact. And, I mean, our, I, I had a lot of rough summers growing up. I mean, can you imagine having to spend entire summers near the beach in Nassau, Bahamas. <laughs> that was rough, I'm sure. Oh, my goodness. Oh my like, I'm getting emotional uh, thinking about it. We need to get you into some trauma work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there was that that aspect, because most of my summers as a youth. So was, you would go back to her home. Oh, yeah. Like, my mom my mom used to send me when I was as young as one year old. Like, I, I couldn't conceive doing that with my kids. But, you know, her parents were there. And, okay. And 
my grandparents, oh my goodness, they gave us whatever we wanted. Yeah. You know, so like it, it, it was just a matter of speaking the word. If we want to go to the beach, my grandfather would take us. Yeah. Wow. So um, those are my summers where, where so Bahamian of, culture, you were kind of uh, absorbing some of that yeah. through, through your grandparents. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, do you have any clue as to uh, some of the ways that may have impacted you or anything you picked up on or? Well, okay. This is, this is a good one. And I was, I was speaking to one of my aunts about this maybe a year ago or so. One of the things that my family uh, finds hard to, to kind of describe is my, my various numerous relationships with white people. Yeah. And um, it's not something many people in my family have, not intentionally. Because as well as identifying as a nine, I understand you identify as an African-American. Right, is, right. Would that be accurate? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I forget. Oh, okay. people, people can't see me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of that, um, one of the things my aunt helped me to identify was her father, my grandfather, I remember him having a lot of social interactions with white people in Nassau. Okay. Which culturally, just to give you a picture, white people are the minority in Nassau, Nassau. Bahamas. Yes, yeah. overwhelming minority. But um, it seems like just about all of them on the island, my grandfather knew and had deep relationships with. And uh, my, my grandfather ran this convenience store on the side. And it was so crazy thinking about it because it was right next to the house uh, my, my mom grew up in, right, right next to my grandparents' house, I should say. And he used to sit, my sister and I, in this cardboard box. <laughs> and we used to just sit there happy as day. Like, I'm thinking about it now. And I'm like, man, those are, those are like so many times of bliss, you know? Mm. But I would observe my grandfather, and not, not unbeknownst to me, I would observe my grandfather and how he dealt with a lot of the customers, friends that would stop by and just have conversations. And it was my aunt who helped me to realize, like, you probably don't remember, but your grandfather <laughs> had a had a deep, deep had deep relations with a lot of white people. And it, it, it took me back. And I was just like, yeah, I remember them. We called it the shop. Uh -huh. I remember them coming in the shop. And um, my dad would play chess with a lot of them, and they would they would uh, smoke cigars. But there was always this. There was a fellowship connection. of some sort. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and, and um, I'm so thankful for my aunt sharing that with me because I was able to get some type of connection that, I, I mean, and I, it's not something I, I intend to do. It's not something that I try to do. I'm just being myself. But to get to get a little bit of foundation under that and know that it could p potentially be linked by something way deeply genetic that I don't even know about. Right. This meant the world to me, you know? Yeah. So um, I was able to connect things there culturally. I hope that answers your question. It does. I, I, again, I want to be careful how I, I try not to draw straight lines to things just because I'm trained in the Enneagram, but it does appear to me that there's a connection there because I can imagine that uh, someone who identifies as type nine, and I believe, I think many people believe this, but I can't prove it, but uh our type is not determined by the family of origin, how we grow up and that type of thing. It's just exacerbated or magnified. The mm. type is magnified by that. In other words, there's this sense of there's a create a way we're created that's actually going to eventually live out that type in some way. But the experiences we have as we grow up do shape it. And what you just described on those, you know, days and months in the shop you're actually, I think, taking a nine's instinct to want to be in fellowship with folks, and you, and it just kind of got, uh, you had a, what we say, a model 
mm. almost in what you were experiencing in those days with your granddad. Is Absolutely. That, is, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me bring that forward because one of the things I meant to say at the beginning when we introduced you is that when it comes to podcasts, you're not just the producer of this show as if that's a small thing. You have your own podcast, Correct. right? Yes. That predated this one, Correct. right? And it's called The Tipping Point. And for those out there that are seeking to perhaps uh, be litigious about this, it's not T-H-E, The Tipping Point. So it's T-H-A, yes. The tipping point correct right yes so malcolm gladwell can't sue you no we did that just for that reason there you go okay (laughs) all right but tell us about what that podcast is about because i think it leaks into what you're oh for sure talking about here so so our i guess our tagline or our catchphrase is uh your source for the black male perspective and so um my good friend caesar walker and i uh our co-host on the show and um, we, we have conversations about race from time to time. Um, most of our conversations are about, you know, issues that, that we feel like black men aren't talking about. Okay. But um, we, I would say the meat of our podcast, we're talking about a lot of race things. Okay. And um, he and I see the world differently in terms of a racial landscape. And uh, he, he, he would disagree with this. But, but I believe that a lot of that has to deal with social interactions. Um, yes he's he's, he's yeah. not having the same experiences i'm having you yeah. know in terms of like cultural density if you yeah. will yeah and which which is similar to what you were experiencing with your granddad in yeah. that shop you just didn't know it it's a lot like one of the men who's passed on now that i respect most from history is dr howard thurman and he would talk about that exact same thing that the key to change in racial tension and diversity and social justice and everything else what what was the word you use about uh or uh cultural density yeah but before that you about the actual uh having interaction uh there was uh yeah social interaction or whatever anyway that's that's what dr thurman kept saying was the key right was to get people into fellowship yes okay sorry go on no 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 i i wholeheartedly believe in that and uh it's nothing against how he was raised or how he was brought up because we were brought up totally differently. And I have a lot of respect and value for that. But I think and when it when it comes in terms of race, he and I disagree a lot. And I think the only differ, differentiating factor is we just we just grew up differently. We have we have different experiences, which I think is important. Uh, for us to talk about better in this, especially in the season we're in in the world in this country, is that it, it, it's easy to begin thinking that there's a, a, a monolithic white perspective and a monolithic black oh my perspective. Goodness, Art, it's like you've listened to our podcast before. We talk I about have. that a lot, but go it, ahead. Go yeah. ahead. You're, you're cooking. Well, no, I'm just okay. saying, I think if we're not careful, all human beings tend to put labels on things because if you label something, it's simpler. Right. right? And the label can help, but the problem is it boxes us in if we're not willing to nuance around that and figure out that just because somebody is this color or from this country or even this Enneagram type or whatever, there's a lot of nuance into being a human being, especially when you add in the context of their culture growing up and that type of thing, which forms us. Yes. Yeah. And, but that's harder to do because you can't just rely on the label. Right, yeah. right. Which is a big part of the problem we're in in the world today. Oh. I was, My wife and I love the old television show, The West Wing. 
Okay. okay. Just, just love it. We have probably watched the whole series uh, at least three or four times all the way through uh, uh, over the last few years. No way. Way after it had its run on NBC, right? Yeah. And so we were watching one last night, and, and this is this episode's probably 20 years old, okay? And it's, it's, it's about, though, they're talking in the White House about the difficulty between the two parties talking the old days are disappearing where when you had an issue, the two sides wouldn't sat down somewhere and had a drink and lunch and talked about it. And they were talking about lamenting about, oh, those days are getting harder to find. I'm like, oh, my gosh, have we devolved a long way since what they were lamenting 20 years ago. Right. It was already getting back. But we have gotten to the point where we have decided to label them as opposition and them as opposition, which means that we can't give in and actually begin to have these discussions, right? Yeah. We're giving too much power away. Oof. That makes sense? Yeah. That happens on individual micro levels as well as in social groups, moving out into cultures and into the world. And I think right now we're in that season in this world where we've labeled each other so much that we can't even have real conversation. Oh, my goodness, Art. Yeah, yeah I think you're right, man. And you know, it, it just takes me back thinking, thinking about um, George Floyd mm-hmm. um, during that time. You know, during that I guess that that period of time, my my phone was ringing a lot from a lot of my Caucasian friends, right? And uh, they they had questions. You know, they didn't they didn't really understand. They didn't they'd never seen anything like this before. And so, I mean, it, there there's two ways you could take it. <laughs> And some people take it, oh, well, let me reach out to the to the only black friend I know. Or, like I take it, let's reach out and to a safe <laughs> safe uh, resource and let me ask these questions to where I'm not going to feel judged. You know, I'm not going to get attacked. And, you know, we can make some progress. And, Art, I entertained those conversations as, like, gosh, as outraged as I was internally, the thing I had to come to grips with was, like, Nobody I know was directly associated with this heinous act, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's the first thing. And then the second thing is like, there is an opportunity for me to play a small role in racial reconciliation right here. And so like to, to me, with when it comes to racial issues, I'm easily attached to the bigger picture. Cool. Because I had every right to be, to be, you know, yeah. just angry over everything and just like, you know you know, just, you know, count out all white people to begin with. I had every right, especially during that time. But, um, I felt like there was a bigger purpose there. And I, uh, are these conversations that I was entertaining for, I mean, weeks after it happened, these were some of the more pivotal conversations I've had in my entire life. Yeah, man. And, uh, it led to a lot of people sharing about their upbringing, some of the things they heard around the house, that they didn't they didn't realize had that deep had shaped them yeah had shaped them and had that deep of an impact right, right? and right. um you know <laughs> a lot of crying too but yeah. um but in when I think about that and I think about the follow up conversations you know I don't I don't know if it helps or not but have we not taken that opportunity to have that conversation who knows right uh, and I think if you if we can think in the sense of magnifying those conversations uh, uh, over lots of different people and lots of different cultures and lots of different geopolitical locations, if we can just keep magnifying those, it's going to be a key. Oh, yeah. But the struggle from a lot of people, I think I'm one of them, is I want so much change so quick 
that I'm sometimes not willing to give into the slow process mm. of investing in the social interaction as much. Is that yeah. right? Oh yeah. Even if I have the desire for a better outcome. Right. 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 Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Gosh, there's a lot of different <laughs> directions. We <laughs> I can... thought about that after I answered that, like, okay. No, no, that's, that, that's really good. Um, uh, so on uh, the tipping point, um, you're you're saying already, okay, we're we're both would identify as African American or black, and in Birmingham in the South, we both have we have kind of different ways we were raised, but yet we're having these conversations, in a sense about what does it mean to be a person of color. In Birmingham, yes, mm. and in Alabama, yes, but in the world at this time in history. Right. Right. Yeah. So what would be, I don't know if, what would be one or two things you can think of that, uh, have come up during some of the conversations that, <laughs> that you think apply at a broader level that either they're funny or they're really, you know, serious or whatever that yeah. you could say, you know, it's interesting on the podcast, but these actually probably apply at a broader level. Sure. Yeah. Well, the reason I, I, I laugh or smirk is because our, our latest episode that, uh, comes out today. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you heard about the Arkansas Juneteenth Soul Food uh, Festival. You know, I don't think I have. Okay, okay. It, it <laughs> somehow a flyer for it leaked on social media, and I mean, it, it just went crazy for a small period of time, and they ended up canceling the event just because everybody was so outraged by it on social media. And to give you context, uh, it was a flyer and it had three Caucasian people that were featured and they, they partnered with a lot of restaurants that were going to be serving food for this event. And I couldn't tell if the three Caucasian people were in the restaurant industry or not, but um, and none of that mattered to me. But the concern was, how can you allow white people to be the face of anything Juneteenth oriented? Okay. All right. Now, now you say the concern, do you mean in the, in the broader uh uh, reaction to it on social, on social media. Yes. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. And that's what they came under fire for. Okay. And so, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't too like locked into it because I'm not on social media that much, but I did read an article about it. It was, you know, it was a op-ed, but one of the things that it made me think about that we talked about on the podcast was, well, we have Juneteenth here, right? Which a lot of people, a, black, a lot of black people say, we didn't ask for you to make this a holiday. Like, you know, there, there are other agendas and things like that. Um, there's, there's that notion, but then there's the other notion of like, you know, you have some black people who say, okay, well, great. You know, this is a sign of progress. Well, for the, for the white people who have, may have learned about this and may have put some value in it and want to celebrate, what are the parameters so that something like this doesn't happen again? Because- Honestly, I don't know where I stand on this, but I was asking a lot of questions from the white person's point of view, because as I saw this unfold, I was thinking of some of the relationships I have with white people and thinking, okay, we, we've taken the time, we've done our research on Juneteenth, we know what it's about, we're not proud of that, but it's a holiday and we want to at least show that we honor this. And so I was left asking the question, how... Well then, well then, what 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 are you supposed to do? Yeah, right. And that that led to a pretty uh, colorful discussion, <laughs> or or excuse me, disagreement. And uh, I was I was very mindful not to take sides, which I haven't. But it's just like I just didn't know. I don't know what other options they have. And it's and it, again to make a teaching point in a sense for type nines. 
you naturally are looking to see everybody's opinion and what people are thinking. You want to understand right. where everybody falls on the spectrum, right? right. Even it, the idea visually with the Enneagram symbol that the nine sits at the top of the circle at the top of the world and they can see all the other numbers. Mm, so okay. that's a visual way of a metaphor of thinking about it's natural. for That's you. my nine on display. Yes. Yeah, very yeah. natural for you. I want to seek out everybody's thinking. Right. And then see if I can get everybody together. Correct. Yeah. And okay. see, and see art when we on, on our podcast, when we have discussions of race, that's my instinct and I know that's bigger uh, than me. I know that's yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can't turn off the nine. That's right. That's but right. it's just like okay, let's let's think about this now. Granted, <laughs> I want to be fair. There are some situations, and we'll just take George Floyd for an example. That's pretty cut and dry. We all saw that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if I opened up much room to think. Okay, what what would make this man want to do that? You know, I'm sure there's value in it, but I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. But um, in most other situations to where something has happened that kind of tipped the racial scales, if it's not as cut and dry as that, I'm naturally inquisitive. Like, okay, well, let's let's think about this constructively. (laughs) And uh, don't get me wrong. I love my co-host. I love him. But uh, his immediate knee jerk is totally different from mine most of the time. Yeah, it's it's more like uh, activist role like you know hey this is wrong let's let's get justice you know what would be interesting is is we need to figure out Caesar's uh Enneagram oh my goodness when I tell you I've been at for the four years we've been podcasting I've been begging because I think it makes such a great episode of us like breaking it down well let's do it let our listeners know more about us and how we're shaped yeah I just can't get him to buy into it really (laughs) yeah well you need to introduce him to me You won't have a choice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, my wife says that I don't take no for an answer. I just repackage it and resell it until somebody just gets Our, tired and goes, "Yes, she's not wrong." Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to get better at that. Okay, uh, okay. I think I demonstrated that this weekend. You did. You, you did. did not? Okay, you did. good. But I love yeah. you for it anyway. Art, Thank you so, so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm more aware of it, and I I try to do less selling and uh, let people decide on okay. that. <laughs> Unless it's really important to me. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we, we need to do that. We need to talk to Caesar and we need to oh do an episode right? oh my where we discover on air. Oh, you know, wow. Yeah, he sounds almost 80-ish, but we'll see. Okay. 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 All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll change his life. I think. I really yeah, there believe There I go. Sell him again. Okay. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> and I'm no better because I'm like, yeah, I will. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, okay, several things here that I don't want to miss is um, – you're you're sitting here today being interviewed on a podcast every Monday. You normally are producing, so you're doing both today, really. Truthfully, folks, I'm not doing anything. He's I've, doing I've taken zero notes, as you, you can see yeah, here. Yeah. So who knows how yeah. this is going to we'll, turn? We'll out. go down and listen. You uh, you can listen to it again. Okay. You know? Yeah, I don't know if you know that or not, but uh, so but uh, and then you and then you produce and then do the other, which is really a video podcast. Correct. on your other one, Correct. yeah. And then you're involved in other projects creatively that have to do with the technical side of recording and, and uh, whether it's video and audio. And I think uh, you've told me in the past, that's kind of your, I don't know, desire, vision, oh, dream. My goodness, Art. Because you have another full-time job. I do. Right? Yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that to okay. the extent you feel comfortable. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, sure. Um, uh, full, full-time, I'm employed as a, uh, I guess, I guess the easiest way I can say it is a marketing consultant. 
for a real estate brokerage. Okay. So a typical day for me, uh, I'll, I'll start like this because this is what I'm trying to reframe. A successful day for me <laughs> is having at least one conversation with a real estate professional, encouraging them, empowering them to put their business out any way they want to and to bring no- notoriety to their business, have them really confident in it. When I can do that, it's a successful day. Whatever else happens, happens. Mm. Um, also, there, there's a um, there's a responsibility in my job. It's, it's kind of like a brand ambassador gotcha. to where um, you know I'm I'm tasked with pulling together marketing materials, things like that, to bring awareness to our brand as well. So it kind of puts me in the same bed. Okay. As, so yeah. all right, I want to ask you a question. Sure. Sure. Okay. Those two things you just described as your you know yesterday job. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> Is it easier for you to do that with these other individuals and with that company brand than it is to do it for yourself? Yes. Interesting. Art, I cannot admit this on air. No, I will. I will, but you're right. Yeah. You're right, yeah. Yeah. I never thought of it like that, but I have to honestly admit you're right. Well, I mean, again, it's not that any personality type couldn't struggle with that. Many do for different reasons, but that is – Somewhat typical of most that identify with uh, Enneagram type nine is that the internal struggle to say that I'm valuable enough to impose myself on the world. Right. right? Yeah. And so that's what it sounds like when you describe what you're really good at doing it with another individual or the company brand. Right. And, and Art, I, there, there was one episode that I, one edit that I did for the, for this podcast recently and you started off the show by saying, uh, I'm here with my guest, Ed Producer, Rodney Gatry, and Art, but I shriveled up so tight. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm cutting this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because no one could know that I'm associated with this because I want Art's podcast to have value. And if yeah. my name is in there. Valueless. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, over, I overcame that thanks to therapy, which I want to talk about at some point during this sure. recording. Yeah. And um, I left it the way it is, but there's still, there's still that struggle of mine, like you said. Right. Um, when it, when it comes to me putting my name on something, there's a lot I go through for me yeah. to be, you know, even mildly comfortable doing that. Yeah, the emotional system is oh. pretty strong. And th- there's, no, there's no human walking the planet with more emotion than me. <laughs> and <laughs> I, do, I get that from my mom, by the way. But <laughs> You do demonstrate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, yeah, so, so going back to your first question, uh, professionally, yes, that's, that's my day job. Yeah. Uh, conversely, I've, I've gotten into this creative space of podcast production. Uh, really, I've started to call it digital media okay. creation. Gotcha. Because you know, I've started inc- incorporating video, right. and then I've, I've, been, I've had the opportunity to help out in so many areas that, have, you know, that exceed podcasts. And uh, it's, it, I'll just give you another example of I did this video for a good friend of mine who's a barber. And it was just like, um, are, are you on Instagram? What do you think? <laughs> I didn't want to. Okay. Anyway. The look you're giving me is just priceless. But Instagram has this feature called Reels. And they're, they're like very short videos, like 40 seconds max. And so I put this video together, this reel together, did the edit, sent it to him. And when I tell you, like, 
after I sent it, I was pacing around the house. We're getting ready to go to the beach. I was pacing around the house. You know, I started getting real snappy with my wife. And it was all due to this discomfort I had because I felt like my buddy wasn't going to like it. Mm. Didn't hear from him for about two hours down the road. And it's all I could think about. And my wife's in the passenger seat thinking, like, what's wrong with him? You know, <laughs> so finally he calls me and Art, I just start shaking. So I got the phone in my ear and he was like, he calls me Gat. He's like, Gat, I love this. And so I hang up, <laughs> put the phone down, <laughs> I turned to my wife and I'm like, he actually loved it. Or at least I think he did. I just hung up on him. And she was like, okay, well, Ron, you need to call him back. This is my emotion getting out of control again. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, yeah. So I call him back and he's, he's just bragging on this video. He says, Ronnie, I'm going to tag you, which means I'm going to put that you were responsible for the production of this. And then I'm going to post it. And I was like, you're not going to tag me <laughs> because you yeah. may like it, but no one else is. This, those are my words to him. Right. And he was just like, no, whatever. I, I, I love him because he can just, you know, he, he'll just, he knows how to exist without all this other emotional stuff. So he tags me in it. Or my Instagram went kind of crazy for about 20 minutes of people just showing a, a deep amount of love for this creative element. And you would think, because this has happened so many times, but you would think with each time I would get a little more comfortable. No, it's still a struggle. So. Yeah. So again, I, I'm going to be careful about trying to be uh, just draw a straight line and mm -hmm. caricature on type nines, but that does it. It resonates so much with what most of the literature of nines or the nines that I'm friends with or the nines that are clients of mine or whatever is kind of at the core issue. There is that if I declare my value and worth and take the inside and put it on the outside in the world, there's too much chance that I will either be rejected or they won't say it's valuable. Mm, right. And that's kind of where the inner conflict comes from. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. So how has therapy helped you move away from that? Hard. I'm yeah. so glad you asked that. Cause I was thinking about that. Um, when we, when we got back to the beach, um, I had a therapy session, and I, and I went over that whole situation in detail, but I was emphasizing the part where I was really snappy with my wife. And, you know, mm -hmm. after after we got over the video thing, I was able to explain to her why I was, and she got it. So, thankfully, there was reconciliation yeah. there. But, um, but, but, it, but even that's kind of a uh, – even if you want to call it a small example of how any Enneagram type or any human being becomes non-present – in the moment, right? Yes. Which is where a lot of our relational suffering comes from. Correct. Because I'm something's going on in my internal system that my type is avoiding or doesn't want to deal with, and I become non-present. Yeah, good. Okay, sorry. Go You're ahead. reading my book right now, Art, in front <laughs> well, of all these listeners. It's common for all people, <laughs> okay. no matter what our type is. There are things that just make us, that tempt us to become non-present. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then the others in our life are trying to figure out where did we go? What did I do? Did right. I do something? Yeah. Well, I, now I'm mad because I didn't do anything. Why did they go away from me? Right. Yeah. Right. And okay. it had nothing to do with her. Yeah. It then we, all, then both emotional systems start grabbing on. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, okay. Well, well, back to the question about therapy. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to keep this as short as I can but the the one question my therapist consistently asked me is Ronnie what is the worst that can happen and she challenges me to really lock into the to the times of rejection I've had not only you know dwell on it but you know think about it for a minute but think about what's happened since then. Yeah. And there, there was a, um, oh goodness, this is good art. Mm. There was a period, <laughs> there's a period of my life. Um, I, I was, I was working for a company that I've been working for since I was in high school. 
through college. They employed me after that. I mean, I think when it was all said and done, I'd been there 15 years. Yeah, total. It, it, most of it was intern, but whatever. Um, but I got laid off. And um, I, my, my son, my son was probably, my first son was probably six months old and it threw me into an immediate bout of depression. And I didn't get clinically diagnosed, but I knew it was mm. um, after the fact. Uh, once, once I started going to therapy, it was shortly after that. I was, I was, it was, you know, the, the links were easy. But um, one, of the, one of the things that my current therapist helped me to realize when we dwell on that was think about every rejection email you got for all the jobs you applied for. Everyone. And I mean, they were crushing to me. Are they? Ne I never got used to them, as many as I was getting. But everyone you got, think about that and think about now. And, um, you know, the first time she put, presented that to me, like, you know, yeah, I immediately broke down. I'm like, man, none of that rejection was the end of the world. You know, it's just, it's just not right now. That, that wasn't a good fit. But every, but every one of those, in essence, is a, is a mini, uh, is a nine saying, you know what, I have to say I'm valuable, you ought to hire me. Yes. And then them saying no. Right. It's like torture almost. For, yeah. 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 Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, but but the, the big picture art, which, again, we have to look at, if, if any of those opportunities had worked out, would we be here today? Yeah. Would you, would you feel like you're coming alive like you are now in this creative space? Because I'm telling you, man, like, this is the most alive I've been in a long time. Because, I mean, I, I wasn't in the right profession back then. I was in IT art. Yeah. I was, I was a computer nerd. Right. <laughs> try, which, try which, to put which, me in that environment in well, your head right now. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, though, because your technical proficiency is a big part of what you do. Sure. But it needed to be socialized. Yes. Yeah. And okay. I, I had zero opportunity for socialization. Okay. And cool. I would try to create those, and I would get rejected. Yeah. You know, in this yeah. career that I thought I loved so much. And it turned out to be the biggest, one of the biggest blessings of my life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, it's, I've got to get to the point to where in situations like that with the video I did for my close friend, I got to, I got to be confident enough to say the worst that can happen is somebody not like it. Yeah. If they don't like it, it's not like they're going to spam you or whatever, you know, show up at your house and tell you how bad it, bad it was. And even if your friend doesn't like it. Doesn't mean that he's not going to be your friend because he didn't like a video you did for him, you know, and just take the opportunity to ask, okay, well, where did I miss the mark? And that's fine. Like no one loses a friendship. No one loses a life. You uh, know? <laughs> well, as you're saying that I'm recalling um, a podcast you and I did um, recently that's not gone up on the platform yet in which. Jane, well, by the time they hear this, it will. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Hopefully it will. Uh, in which Jane Strong, who's uh, not only a recovering addict, but also for many years uh, is a very experienced somatic trainer and equine therapist. Although, sorry, Jane, I called it therapy. It's not therapy. But um, when she talked about even how a type nine would approach the horse, you remember that? And she said, I, the nine didn't even want to ask anything of the horse. And you were like, oh, my gosh, that's my whole life. Well, I, all right, I was about to fall out of the chair because right. was, that was me. I yeah. thought we were going to have to ship you to Connecticut to let her do a, an equine training session with you because you I were like, faint. oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't even, didn't, nines don't even want to ask anything of the horse. Right. Right? Yeah, I could get rejected well, how does by the horse. The horse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
But it, we laugh, but it's such a deeply embedded emotional system depending on our archetype, yeah. whatever type we are. It's just nine different ways. Enneagram's really kind of describing in many ways nine different ways that we block our essential worth. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so a lot of exploration. Yeah. Can, can I? Yeah. And our, yeah. I'm all over the place. Yep. But I want, I want to talk about to where, I want to talk about how what seems like it's kind of good on the surface can go wrong. Oh, that's can I? good. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, and hopefully my wife doesn't mind me sharing this. If she does, I'll ask her forgiveness. But um, in our in our marriage, art, there everybody or both parties have expectations, right? Yep. And so you take you take my enneagram type, people pleasing. This is this is now the most important person in my entire sphere, like in my entire being, this is, this is her. So a lot of your energy and intention yes. goes toward pleasing her. Right. Okay. And so our, um, you, what, oh, what that I, will work out perfectly. Won't it? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. if I just give her everything. <laughs> so, so, um, so you're saying it didn't go that no well. way okay. or not even close, yeah. but in my head it was just like, Oh, but, um, I, I was able to, well, after the fact, <laughs> after uh, countless arguments about the same thing, I was able to trace back to our dating, you know, our courtship. And it was all about, okay, Ronnie, you, you're the true essence of a nine. You have feelings for this woman. Like, just let her, let your nine bleed all over her, you know, whatever she wants, whatever. So that carries on into engagement, into marriage. And then there, there comes a point to where, at least for me, I was, I was, wanting to, well, I was expecting similar in return for her, from her, excuse me, but I couldn't articulate that. Mm. What was the barrier art? Mm. If I tell her this. <laughs> and then she says. Right. No. She could leave me and I, I can't, mm. I can't afford to do all right. that. And I just go to the extreme, especially then right. I went to the, to the wild extreme. Yeah. And so there were, there were small minor disagreements we would have and I would, I would cover them up. And I would just let my nine go, you know, unattended or whatever. Mm -hmm. In other words, the the classical thing here, again, other types can do this, but nine seem to specialize in, in just suppressing any anger or frustration about their needs. Right. And it goes underground. Yes. And when it pops back up, it ain't good. Boom. Yeah. And it popped art. Ooh. It popped off major. And uh, it, our, I, I kid you not. This pop off extended the course of a little over a year of wow. me. Yeah. Of me just shutting my wife out, you know, cause now, now I've taken all I can take in terms of people pleasing. I don't feel like she's been bending over backwards. Like I have for her. And now I'm, now I'm pissed off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Somebody's going to pay. Somebody's going to pay, but I'm gonna have to do it sneakily. Right. <laughs> right. And my, my, my version of making her pay was, Essentially, just cutting her off socially, not cold giving shoulder. her a cold yeah. shoulder. You yeah. know, wasn't any art. Well, it was not arguing. It wasn't a lot of, you know, it was just. Mm, yeah, Emotionally, I'm shutting you out. Yes. Yes. But our, that that's the that's when that kind of stuff goes wrong. And my wife, my wife would tell me so many times, Art, Ronnie, if there's something you want, just tell me. And I would reject that. <laughs> I would reject it like. She would say it, I would absorb it, I would understand it, but I'd reject it. Can I ask you a question? Come on, Art. And this this may be difficult because I know it was difficult for me uh, in the first few years people worked with me on this. But if you think back, or even maybe currently where it's happened, do you can you sense or feel or recall what your body was doing? Like when she said, 
if you want something, just tell me. But you you you, you couldn't, no. right? Do you, do you even can you even think about how your body was reacting in those moments, <sighs> or maybe if you think of a recent one, even though you've gotten better at well, it? Yeah, and I don't because what because what's generally going on with all of us, and sometimes it does depend on time, is some part of our physical system starts to constrict. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Whether, that resonates with me. Okay. So. Play with it a little bit. It's kind of like a numb, numbing feeling. Okay. If I if I can recall. Yeah. And it's it's hard to explain because I could hear it, I can understand it, I could process it. But when it came down to me dealing with, I gotta I gotta actually do that. Numb. Yeah. <laughs> and that's even, not even though I'm giving you the cold shoulder. Yeah. I'm I'm pissed off beyond pissed off because you know I've taken all I could take. Yeah. Still, if I still do what you want me to do. That still could be even more negative. Yes, so it, what's, I've heard you say this a lot, but is it self-preservation, or at least what I think is self-preservation? It it could be the self-preservation instinct coming into play. the The thing I the the words I'm hearing from you that are kind of resonating, sticking out, is the numbness. The idea, like, uh, and and the other phrase you use, which is so typical of body types, but often especially nines. I've taken all I can take. Oof. Right. So what happens with human beings, and I think in Western culture, we tend to have not paid attention to this as much. And we're starting to figure out we better start paying attention to it is the role that the physical body plays in suppression of things like that. How it's even even uh, the the seminal work on it from years back with Bessel van der Kolk with the body keeps the score, both in the dramatic traumas of life, but also in the low grade mm-hmm. things. That, so for a nine, you, you're storing that somewhere. Repressed anger or suppressed anger doesn't go away. It's right. stored and the body is collecting it. And sooner or later you have to rebel because you've been pat You unconsciously all your life have been not knowing how to say no or yes to things. Right. And so all that gets stored, and, and there's a that's a big uh, phrase for nines, especially is I, I can't I've taken all I can take and I can't take anymore, and now it's coming out. Right. The problem for most nines is to figure out, okay, how do I actually healthy healthily do this because I've stored up so much unconsciously, and I don't even want you to know how mad I'm at. Yeah, but I got to figure out how to punish you. Right. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which so, I'm too emotional to ever think I'm pulling that off with her. Yeah. But I'm sure for a period of time I thought I was. Yes. But the cold I mean, shoulder. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. It, it, I, I could remember huh. nights where like I'd have a work call and then, you know, I'd be all jovial and all Ronnie. Ha, 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 yeah. Hang up. And then she'd say, okay, well, what are we doing for dinner? Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I'm still, I'm still punishing you, right? you yeah, but how, I can't let you know it. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I, I guess the big picture was, I mean, eventually I got tired of being, being that way. And, um, I, I don't know if I was consistently going to therapy around that time, but I know shortly after that, that's when I committed, like, no, I got to do this on a routine basis. And, uh, the, uh, all right, big picture elephant in the room. None of it was her fault. Yeah. It was all me. Yeah. I had expectations that I did not voice. I have a right to voice my expectation in this marriage. Yeah. And to expect my wife to know that or ex- to expect my wife to to know Intuit that. Intuit Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or read my mind is, yeah. is, is another. Yeah. That's not fair to her. Right. And so, again, I had, to, I had to encounter that. Okay, well, let's take baby steps. Let's start with something small. 
T- do, do what she says. Tell her what you want. Yeah. What, sh- what is she going to do? <laughs> yeah, what's the worst that could happen? Right, yeah. right. And so, and so I would I would implement those things, and it would just it would take everything I had to just say, I really want pizza tonight. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, art. It was just like, and I remember I having it. to breathe after I said it. Yeah. And then it was just like, oh, okay, I think pizza's good. Yeah. What do you mean? You you don't hate me? You don't want a divorce? But but over time, over time, like those little baby steps become big. And then when I want to answer this too, because I know I've had flare ups like that before. And I've been so open with my wife about my therapy journey. And I, and I let her know everything we're talking about. And she's equipped now to ask the right questions. And she knows what triggers. Cool. And so she's like, okay, well, what, what is it you want, want, Ronnie? Remember, it's not the end of the world. I'm your wife. I love you. I'm not going to leave you. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, how well, gracious tonight I want is that? Sushi. Actually, <laughs> you know, what you're describing, most or a lot of people that are experiencing the world of marital counseling and therapy and social sciences and that type of thing, basically have concluded like it takes the average couple, most couples, seven to 10 years to figure out how to fight well. Wow. We all fight. That's we just an don't average? Fight well. Yeah, and I'll be honest, if there's other things within the individuals in the coupling, such as trauma, addiction, other types of things that are unresolved, levels of mental health, it it may take way longer than that. In fact, that's the reason a lot of people don't make it, right? Because they do... most of us probably weren't taught as we went into deciding to uh, have a relationship or make a marriage is uh, how hard it was going to be to learn how to fight well, right? I mean... There were probably some people warning us in some way, but I wasn't paying any attention. Yeah, and so I've, I've it kind of bears out that it's this hit or miss thing that you go through. The two egos are trying. Two egos can never solve anything, both in a marriage or in these bigger issues we're talking about in the world. Right, right? egos can only attack or defend. Ah, okay, and so that's the same thing that's going on with individuals, whether they're friends or a marriage or. Um, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, black, white, whatever you want to say is if, if the egos are in the way, you're not going to make much progress because you can only attack or defend. That's that actually circles back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, I'm sorry, you're not an addict, but at least we know we're addict addicted to our person at the ego. And that's our biggest work. That's all of our biggest work. Right. That makes sense. Yes, it does. Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got it. No. What do you want, Ronnie? <laughs> what do you want? Say it, buddy. I don't know. I don't have any value. <laughs> um, going back to that, to that whole thing of like um, my wife and I, and me just really failing to tell my wife what I want, even on the simplest things. Yeah, there was an instance where the rubber hit the road for me, and it was like things in therapy that we have uncovered came to light. Like to 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 it so clear that I couldn't deny it. We had a beach trip with it was uh, my parents, both of my sisters, and her parents. We all got this beach house um, in Gulf Shores or whatever. And uh, my mom was all wound up one morning. <laughs> and my mom's emotional. I get that. I get that strength from my mom. Mom, I love you if you're listening to this. But she was all wound up, and uh, she was giving me a lot of a lot of like that I didn't think I deserved over, over, um, I think over seafood, she wanted fresh seafood, which we found out later. And so, um, I was starting to, you know, I was starting to get snappy with my mom and, you know, Tabitha came in there and got me. She said, Hey, let's go, let's go do our walk. Let's go do our three miles, whatever. 
And as soon as we got out the door, I said, why can't my mom just say what she wants? It's <laughs> so oh Tabitha gives me the look. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Tabitha gives me the look and then instantly, all right, I said, that's me, isn't it? And she was like, yep. And I was like, okay, I get it now. That's where I get it from. And it's nothing against my mom. Is it because that's who my mom is. But um, just seeing that in like in the flesh and then having a great conversation with Tabitha about, okay, hold on. The way I feel now and dealing with this menial situation about my mom just wanting to say she wants some fresh uh, whatever fish it was. Is this what you felt like when I went? And she was like, Ronnie, 100 percent. And she said so much of me that I'm not going to share on the podcast out of respect to her. But it was just like, man, that culmination. Mm -hmm. It was just I don't know. It was refreshing. To, yeah. It's uh, and the way she handled it, you know, it was pretty gracious, right? Because there was an invitation in that, that includes the idea of empathy. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. She's inviting you into hers and you into yours with your mom, and then that, and so it it that idea we you mentioned earlier in the show. If I'll do some intense work at a smaller level, it's going to have concentric fruit out into bigger parts of my life. That's why. I, Sometimes people hear these conversations, boy, y'all are making way too much about a little thing. <laughs> no, it's, but it's, Jesus even said, look, if you do a lot with a little, you get more. Yes. Right? And so the, the I had a counselor teacher many years ago who I loved and respected. He's passed on now, but he would talk a lot about in the area of anger. If you'll do the work at the smallest level, it begins to have fruit at the bigger and bigger levels of life. You know, but you got to do the work at the small level. You can't always start at the top. Right. right. So I think that's what you're describing. Okay. So two things before we close. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we close now. Well, we don't have to close. No, I'm, joking. Yeah. I'm joking. Do you not want to close? No, just say I, it. Just I, say I, it, right? Well, all right. I mean, like, I'm so shy. So let's go ahead and close. Yeah, right. I don't share a lot. All right. So there's two things. <laughs> One is I want you to take a minute and describe kind of like, um, your heart's desire, we talked about a little while ago, about you in the creative space that includes the technical. Um, you you really want to do more and more of this, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And I know you have even done some video work for my wife in the Addiction Prevention Coalition. Yes. And I think that's probably going to expand a little bit. And by okay. the way, uh, you went live. The Well, no, you didn't go live. Your video with you as the moderator went, went out the other night did it and, really yeah which night was it uh were your ears burning on i was uh, tossing and turning saturday uh, night oh uh, okay now this was wednesday um <laughs> and uh i gotta tell you several people that gave us feedback about the whole thing mentioned the moderator and boy he was good at what he did so i just want to let you know that. Dang, thank you are yeah, sweet all right so uh talk i'm gonna limit you to one minute on this okay I know everybody in the world that knows me is going, Art Wimberly is limiting somebody to talking to one minute. This is bizarre. So you get one minute, okay. and I want you to talk a little bit about what your dreams are for the future oh. with that, okay? Uh, my dreams are my, I want to create a space to where people who want to share a story can come in, welcome, open arms, welcome, and be able to craft a message that can be put out there for the world to consume. Sweet. Love it. I love that. I've never heard you. I've never asked you to define it before. I don't even know what I just said. <laughs> okay. But it's fortunately you taped it, right? Yes. I don't know if you realize that, but you, okay. you're taping. Gotcha. Okay, good. All right. Now, thank you. Here's the last thing I want to see if we can cover a little bit. Okay. Uh, 
this is a little bit broader perspective in terms of I had a conversation with Tim Clay the other day, who you know, Love who Tim came Clay. on, yeah, my best friend in the world, saved my life. And he and I are talking about these kind of bigger picture issues in terms of uh, how to get people into that social fellowship space together. Uh, we were we were kind of coming at it from black and people of color and white and that type of thing. Uh, and we actually, the venue we were kind of started talking about, because he and I are both in long-term recovery, uh, over the years I've been involved in communities of recovery and processes and that kind of thing, and he has too. And so there's this kind of thing you notice along the way that people of color seem to have a harder time getting into recovery communities, oh. okay, resisting that, yeah. okay? Oh, yeah. And so, uh, and I've told people before, I, I for 20 years I've been collecting these anecdotal stories about people that won't go into recovery. Mm-hmm. The very Let me tell you the very first one I ever heard was uh, a local pastor said, uh, you know what? I think it's a good idea what you're talking about, but Southern people won't do that. So Southern people was my first one. Okay, okay yeah. Then the next one, I was in California for a, for a large summit about recovery, and the speaker was from South America, and he said, you know, the South American uh, in, indigenous Indians, they won't, they won't do recovery. So I've got, okay, I got Southern people. I got South American Indian population. Then... The next year, I'm at the same conference, and the man was from Great Britain. He said, you know, the British, stiff upper lip and all that, we won't do recovery. So I'm like, okay, Southern people, indigenous Indians, British, got it. They won't do recovery. Don't work on them, okay? Then eventually, over the years, anecdotally, I would hear, well, you know, Asian people, you know, they won't do it. They won't do recovery. They can't get to the level of intimacy and exposure and vulnerability and community that it takes to do. And then later on, it was uh, uh, Jewish people. Well, you know, Jewish people. (laughs) So finally, I was like, well, somebody's doing recovery. Yeah, exactly. But Tim and I are having this conversation and it's ongoing about what, do we need to do as recovering people individually, but as communities and as groups, is there something we can do to make it easier or more inviting for people of color that need recovery to come into those processes? You see what I'm saying? Yes. So I was asking Tim, I said, Tim, as a person of color, can you tell me what you think are some of the barriers? Okay. And so one of them we mentioned was, is it still that many people of color, despite their own personal experience in their life, is they're still carrying some sense, maybe even in their body, maybe granularly, that to put my, make myself vulnerable in a system that tends to be more white mm. is still a little dangerous? Is that So I don't know. What are your thoughts on something like that? Oh goodness, I've got a lot. Um, do I have a minute here too, or do I? Have no, you have a, okay. you have as much time as you want to take. I I think I think on on the forefront of that, I think one of the more impactful things is people like Tim and myself being more you know outspoken advocates on it, especially when it comes to things like mental health therapy. I think all that can lead to recovery, right? Yes, yeah, um, yeah. That's a great point. Of recovery is is sounds kind of narrow, but mental health issues, yeah. right? Even uh, the other issue we were talking about was 
Well, what, what about these cohorts in these communities that are studying consciousness techniques like Enneagram because we're not promoting Enneagram, we're, we're promoting consciousness which helps change the world. Okay. Oh, yeah. How about that? We don't. We want more people of color in those. Does that make sense? Yeah. So any any restriction, forget what the domain is: mental health, recovery, consciousness studies, whatever. Forget the domain. From your point of view, and because of the podcast you and Caesar do, you probably already talk about this a little bit. What are some of the barriers that you think are still out there, real or not? Okay. That we need to think about uh peer response peer reception okay yeah. uh, and and i'll give you this my my wife will still tell you she thinks therapy's for crazy people <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, what well, am i gonna say to that like yeah. i know i'm certified crazy yeah but yeah. but you know obviously it's not right. and, and if it is then i'm a firm believer that we're all crazy for human right sure um we all got some level of craziness so that's one of the first blocks in terms of in terms of the black community i think that notion is prevalent that when you so when you say peer response, you're, you're talking about your cultural community. Yeah, yeah, and, I, okay. and, and I'm again, we're 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 stepping away from the monolith, but I'm talking about yes. from my from my upbringing, what I've seen in the black community. Okay, it uh, it took a lot of courage for me to admit to a lot of people that I that I too yeah. go to therapy on a consistent basis. Well, Ronnie, what's wrong with you? Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> what is right with me there is a go. better question. Okay, and so that that's what I mean by like. By like somebody like me, I've got to be more of an advocate of switching that narrative, even with small conversations. Good. And then I think about my upbringing and there were issues in our house, a lot of issues that still impact our family to this day that no one wants to talk about. Okay. And then I, I know that I, you know, because I mean, therapy changed my life. Are, I'm just being honest about it. Um, I know there was a point in time where I was just like really on the horse about <laughs> there's a horse again. I didn't ask the horse if I could ride the horse, <laughs> but um, I was on that high horse about like our family should get this Yeah, because we've got these pocket conversations. I have a conversation set with my little sister, a different conversation set with my bigger sister, a conversation set with my mom and my dad. And it's just like, no, mm-hmm. we're all talking about the same stuff. Why can't we collectively come together and deal with this stuff? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that, that, in my opinion, is something that was handed down okay. to my parents from way back when. And my parents may not have the information to know how to deal with said issues in a family environment. Like, gosh, I, I remember when we, we announced to my parents that we were expecting, my mom had a hard time dealing with that. Because it's like, you mean my son's having sex? It's <laughs> like, whoa. Well, that mom, is an you? indication. There might be some unhealthy uh, ideas around <laughs> Right, right. And and that came out in random conversation that my mom was having trouble dealing with that. And not, not I mean, <laughs> just dispel the fact that we've been married almost five years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a grown man. <laughs> you know, like, what you think we were doing? Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, but it's it's stuff like that. All right. So, so so let me ask you a question. Would this be a subset or would this be uh, another dynamic behind what you're talking about about the peer response? Would it be that for so long it was necessary in order to stay alive or to stay as a family for people of color in this country to keep it down home? Oh, yeah. To keep it, you don't talk about this outside of the family. Is that, Correct. Does that make sense? Correct. So yeah. some of that's that still there. Yeah. Okay. That, that's why I think a lot of it rests on my shoulders because here I am, I'm the, I'm the counter to that. Yeah. It's like, wait, 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 now. 
<laughs> disclaimer, the three therapists I've had in my adult life have all been black. But still, if if it's if culturally, if that is a concern, just know you have people that look like you out there who are equipped that's good. to deal with this stuff. Yeah, that's good. But but do we know that? Are we talking about the dinner table on, on Sunday? Right. Or yep. are we just finding comfort in the fact that only crazy people go to therapy? Yeah. And we're we're a family unit. We're not crazy. Right. Yeah. So does that answer your question? It already? does. It okay. does. Okay. That that definitely. Yeah. That's that's a much more nuanced uh, thinking about it uh, probably than I've done before. But um, so we've got that bear. But again, even my my kind of humorous recitation of Southern people and Indigenous Indians and British and so forth. So no matter what the culture is, you can have blocks to wanting to deal with whatever the issues are. But it, it seems to be in this country at this stage that one of the biggest ones we've got to break through is the black-white barrier in terms of um, – so if so if people of color are not coming to the places that can help them heal and grow, right, is there something there that, that as whites – we need to know more about to make it more inviting. And so you just named one of those things that comes from the peer pre- the peer response, the cultural side. Um, I'm wondering if another one has to do uh, even with the idea that, well, if, if, if it's kind of generally a white structure, there's still more white power to it. Am I safe when I go there? Mm. Does that make any sense? Psychologically sense. safe, oh, sure. not not necessarily physically. What, what Although, can I, what can I share with this white person? Right, right. That may deal with racial issues. Right. Uh, is, and again, and again, any human being, no matter again, British, Asian, <laughs> Southern, or whatever, can have that same fear. What will they do with the information? Right. That's human. Yeah, I get that, but I think it seems to be more magnified in people of color still in this country no matter what their real experience has been growing up, right. there still seems to be some almost inherited granular resistance to that because it's been, has it worked well in the past? Right. And I think all that gets handed down. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's a thing. I think that's a thing that I, as a white person have not understood well until recently. Okay. Okay, yeah. and we I think Tim and I talked about that on the podcast, but it's something that I was unaware of until more recently. For instance, with me and Tim, it was easy for me, no matter what my personal objections were to being vulnerable in recovery environment, yeah. I didn't have the other objections, right? Uh, I wasn't yeah. going across town. I wasn't going into a white church. I wasn't going into a white group. I wasn't going into that culture. And I, I just assumed it was as easy for Tim as it was for me. Oh, yeah. And it yeah. did not hit me, honestly, until the pandemic, until all the things like George Floyd and all the things that were breaking loose. Right. And I had more time to think about them and meditate on them yeah. because things were shut down that the awareness started to creep in is okay. My experience is not the same as his, even though I thought it was. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So, um, he and I are still having that conversation. I think the world's trying to have it. I sure. think you're doing it on your podcast is figure out how do we break these barriers down so that each of us understand that uh, just because it's easy for me, it may not be as easy for you. Correct. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. How do I make it more inviting or open? Or how do I learn how to come into your world? Mm. Does, that, does that make some sense? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Huh. Yeah. 
And Art, I think you got to give yourself some grace too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm doing a pretty. I think one thing my recovery, is, yeah, one thing my recovery has taught me is that when I become aware of something that I was not aware of before, is not to jar, judge myself harshly. I'm better okay. at not doing that, so I can then be open to change. Right. Because if I judge myself harshly, change is probably not going to be good. Right. And yeah. and forgive me, but I, I'm just taking time to process like us, us in our infancy in terms of our friendship. Yeah. And I just, I just know from that first meeting we had at the, at Seeds Coffee, mm-hmm. I, I had no reservations about you. Like I could tell, I mean, you, you had an agenda. You, you were thinking about the podcast, of course, but what did we sit there for two hours? Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and as shy as I am, that, I mean, that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah. mean, that's my last one. I promise. I, right, right, yeah. But, but I just, I was able to detect a genuine interest, not only in your podcast, but in me. No. Well, like, thanks for like, saying that. Yeah, yeah. So, so whatever that is, mm-hmm. like how you get there, I would just encourage you to keep doing that. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to do, and and be open to the fact that this is unfolding as it goes. Sure. Uh, but at least I'm more aware now at a different level of things I just wasn't aware of before. Which is a great thing, Art. It's very, it's a very good thing, yeah. and it invites me into deeper conversations with more people, and I and I try to release my ego so that I'm not defending or attacking. It's a new idea. Okay, you don't have to reject it, Art. You don't have to. You can just sit with it, listen, think, meditate. Let other people bring information in because it's going to change me one way or the other if I'm, if I'm open to it. Right? Have you considered doing a podcast before? You know, I've thought about it, but if I only if I could find a producer <laughs> or something like <laughs> they're hard to find. <laughs> yeah, a good one. Right, know, right. Yeah, don't, one don't that has value. One that has value or worth or something <laughs> like. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I think I think with that, I think we probably have a natural close yes. here. Yes. Oh my, this it, is so good. It Art. was great. I appreciate you <laughs> this doing that. This chair is so much better than that one. Than the other one. Yeah. You feel more in control now. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> Ronnie, thanks. Yes. Love you. Um, and uh, well, I guess I'll see you next week. Yeah. <laughs> we probably have a podcast to do, don't we? Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, folks, thanks us, uh, Thanks for joining us for this particular episode of How's That Working For You. And uh, thanks especially to Ronnie for being my friend, being a great producer, and supporting uh, my, uh, I don't know if I can call it a vision about doing a podcast, but my at least my uh, uh, wanting to. Desire. And getting it done. Yes. So thanks. We'll see you next time.